Hey, this is Rob and that's Micaiah and you are listening to You Forgot One. Today on You Forgot One, Big Star. One of the great American bands that never got their due while they were together. What is their best album? Micaiah, Big Stars Radio City, Big Stars Third. And then, of course, we don't want to forget number one record. What is the best Big Star record? That's the question we're going to wrestle with today. What do our listeners need to know right up front about Big Star? Oh, boy. Okay, so uh, Big Star, in short, uh three records um and they recorded them in like 1972 1973 1974 um the third album never like officially came out and so we're gonna have to talk about that quite a bit because that it becomes very confusing uh when you say big stars third because you can be referring to about 10 different albums actually um but they are pretty much the biggest and best kind of cult band um, a band that existed for a very short amount of time and struggled to get their records uh, distributed, which in the seventies, that was how you were going to survive is through distribution. Um, and yeah, and then they fell, you know, just kind of call it quits. Um, but then people in the eighties and the nineties kept discovering them and rediscovering them and bringing them up. Um, we've talked about the replacements. I mean, the song Alex Chilton alone, right? R.E.M., Wilco, Yola Tango, right? All of these acts mm-hmm. um, revere and would bring them up all the time when people ask like, oh, like your sound is so unique. Where's this come from? Who are you listening to? And they'd always say, big star, you know? So they're kind of the first indie rock alternative rock band um, in a way. I, one of my people to say. Um, and that's kind of their place in music history. Just this, this great band that never made it big. And so for people who, who find them, um, they love them deeply and intimately, you know, because the, they feel like they're your own kind of like best kept secret. You know, I mean, they're they're I mean, the, they keep reissuing these records. So they, they've sold quite a bit now, um, you know, 50 years later, you know, to this year will be the 50th anniversary of number one record. Um, but still, though, it's it's just for the few who who have found them, um, they've really fallen in love with them in, in, in a really deep and an important way. Um, and that that's certainly the case uh, for myself. And I'm, I'm sure you too, Rob. They are maybe the best rock story that exists. And, and again, one of the things I think we're going to talk about today with our guest is they they are a band because they make these great albums and kind of fall apart as a band within a space of about three years. And you have an album that officially never gets released in, in any capacity um, as, as their kind of famous third or sister lovers, uh, depending on how you define that. And I'm sure we'll talk about it, but I, I think the mythology around big star also, also makes them, an important band, an important band, even as, uh, not aside from their music, but on top of their music, mm-hmm. because their music arrives with this great story, this great narrative, this great picture of 
a band that had a ton of talent and never found an audience, never had distribution. I mean, they're all of these different things that they never had access to that never allowed them to succeed in the ways they should have. And I think that's maybe when we think about them as the kind of start of that kind of indie rock idea is really it's, it's commercial. It's a picture of commercial failure for a number of reasons, for myriad reasons, but all ultimately hides or not hides, but, but all ultimately stands in contrast to really, really great music, music that should have been huge. And it's one of the things, you know, we talk about their influence on a band like the replacements. I think about the replacements and in our replacements episode from last season, I was talking with Bob Mayer about this idea. How was this not the biggest band in the world? They were so great. And in some ways it feels like that when you fall in love with big star, you fall in love with a band that it's, it's impossible to believe they were not a huge success. And so that underdog story, that, that story of a band that didn't get the due that was, uh, that should have been coming their way, I think also makes this music even better. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is about big stars, they are a success. Um, they've just have redefined what that means. Mm-hmm. You know, it just came much later um, for them. And, you know, people like Chris Bell never got to see that happen because he died at the age of 27, but they are a success and their songs are, are hits, right. And to, to music lovers and and musicians who cover them all the time, right. These are, these songs are in the canon of great songs. You know, all three of these albums are on the list of the greatest albums of all time, whether it's enemy rolling stone, right. They're always, you know, three for three. You know, so they, they, they got their success. Um, just, you know, not between the years that they were, uh, you know, really, really going for it. This is a big question we're going to wrestle with. And so we don't want to wrestle with it alone. We have today our guests, writer, Stephen Deusner. Stephen is the author of where the devil don't stay traveling the South with the drive by truckers. He is a music journalist for Uncut, Pitchfork, Stereo Gum, The American Songwriter, Bluegrass Situation, No Depression, Bandcamp Daily. You have read his music journalism all over the place, and he is here with us to talk about Big Star. So we're going to take a quick break and let you hear from today's sponsor, Anchor, as well as two independent record stores of the week. And we'll be back with our guest, Stephen Deusner. I would have to say locally, uh, Landlocked Music here in Bloomington, Indiana. I'm such a fan that I used to work there. It's the only record store experience I actually have, but it was a great place because I feel like every day I went in, I learned something new from the from the customers as well as the other employees. But it's just a, an incredible store with a really well-curated inventory. And I'm always surprised by what I find there. Prices are very low. And they, they sort of sit here in this arts community in a really interesting and important way. And I think Bloomington would be not a place I would want to live if that store ever left. 
Uh, I think it is it is central to my experience, and I think a lot of people's experience of this town. It is a world class record store in a small college town. And if I can give a shout out also to Seasick Records in Birmingham, Alabama, another amazing and incredibly imaginative store. They do a lot of special editions of LPs. They also hosted an event for me for a book event where I did a reading and Patterson Hood and Mike Cooley played a short set afterwards. So I got to say I opened for the drive-by truckers. <laughs> Life is downhill from here. Like they're, they're, that's, that's peak. That's, I hit my peak. And, but they made that happen. But also much like Landlock, they serve a very important role in, in that arts community in Birmingham, which has a really remarkable music scene as well. And I think if you go in to that record store, you will see how vibrant that arts community is in Birmingham. That's Landlocked Music at 115 South Walnut Street in Bloomington, Indiana, 47404. They're open Monday through Saturday, noon to 8 p.m., and on Sundays, noon to 5 p.m. You can find them online at landlockedmusic.com. And in Birmingham, Seasick Records. Seasick Records is located at 4420 4th Avenue South in Birmingham, Alabama, 35222. You can find them online at seasickbham.com. ago my heart was set to live oh and I've been trying hard against unbelievable odds it gets so hard in times like now to hold on but guns they wait to be stuck by at my side is God I've been doing this for about 20 years now. Um, I write for a variety of publications at the moment, uh, in, including Uncut Magazine, Pitchfork, Stereo Gum, No Depression, Bluegrass Situation. Um, and I just published my first book called uh, Where the Devil Don't Stay, Traveling the South with the Drive-By Truckers. That came out uh, in September on University of Texas Press. You know, I kind of feel like I always have the, the, the least satisfying answer to how I got into this business is because I just stumbled into it. Um, the first reviews I ever wrote were because this guy who had the cubicle next to me at my first job in Memphis went on to do the review section for the local all weekly and was like, Hey, you want to, you want to take on some reviews. And when my wife started going to graduate school, I was moving around the country with her and we would stay at a place for only a year or so. And it was like, you can't, you can't get a really good, meaningful job for just a year. So I was just freelancing. That's how I started freelancing full time. And we'd move around and I could do it everywhere. And I think that instilled in me a real sense of place when I do, when I write, um, I, I always tried to write for local publications, 
Um, and I think that came through in the book, which is uh, a sort of a history of the band told geographically rather than chronologically. So I think that's one of my main things that I focus on is, 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 is place because that's, that's what sort of defined my adult life is moving around. Well, we want to go ahead and start here before we get into these albums, before we get into the specifics of the albums we have brought you here to talk about, let me ask this question, which is what do you love about big star? Oh gosh. I mean, I love the inventiveness of big star. I feel like every song is showing me something a little bit new. I love the soulfulness of it. I mean, I used to think that radio city was a little bit emotionally removed and detached. And then I realized like, that's the point. And that's something that, I don't know. I feel like I wasn't hearing a lot of, you know, when I, when I made that realization, it's catchy as hell. I mean, those songs get stuck in your head. They're weird. They're deeply, deeply weird. I also think beyond all that, Big Star have a great story. There's such a great story there. And it's one that I think is more important than people realize. And I think it is maybe even more universal than stories of success. Like I think there are more experiences like Big Star had than there are experiences like the Beatles had. Yeah. And I think that's extremely important. Um, and so, yeah, I love that story along with loving the music. Won't you let me walk you home from school? Won't you let me meet you at the Memphis is is really your de facto t- hometown for for someone who has moved a lot and in as you talked about in your writing that you know f- place and in kind of centering place is so important for you in your own story your your background is so diverse but you really spent some very formative and important years of your life in in and around Memphis and so Big Star is kind of a hometown pick for you. So how did you discover Big Star? 
And, and what do they mean to you and, and others like you who, who see Memphis as home? What is, what is the hometown draw? What's the connection between Memphis and this band? I mean, as somebody who's not a musician and who had never played in bands in Memphis, but who wrote about music and, and start, started really diving into music while I lived in Memphis, I think they're immensely important locally. Um, my story is that I went to college at, at Rhodes College in Memphis and spent pretty much my entire 20s living there. And, you know, that's an impressionable time for anybody. And I was just absorbing everything. And I would be, and this is like pre-internet, pre-streaming. So to hear an album, you had to pretty much either have a friend who owned it or buy it. And, you know, as a college kid in my 20s, I didn't have a whole lot of money. And I remember reading about Big Star so much and and, uh, specifically in reference to R.E.M., that I was so curious about who this band was. And then I heard that they were from Memphis, which is where I had, you know, I was just starting to get into the history of Memphis and what it meant to be in Memphis that I was just like, I have to hear this. And so I remember I like, I skipped a few meals and I saved some money and I went and to the cats music store on union Avenue. And they had, two CDs they had that version of the first two albums that that are on one CD mm-hmm. and they had that big reissue of third sisters lovers they're both like 20 bucks and so i i sprung for the first one and you know it wasn't immediate but man once i got to the ballad of el goodo it was just like oh i see what everybody's talking about like i get it like i get this and uh it's been a kind of favorite ever since then i think because of that also those two albums are very connected in my mind in fact all three of them are very connected in my mind so when we sort of talk about them i'll i might accidentally refer to one song being on number one record or one song being on third or something like that but uh they're all sort of it's it's sort of makes that it tells that story that i was talking about um And I think locally they're important because I think they just proved that you could be an artist in Memphis and you could make music that didn't align with the popular history of Memphis music. You could be an artist making important music that had nothing to do with the blues, had nothing to do with early rock and roll or or soul music or R&B, that it could be its own thing. And I think that they really expanded what, you could do as a musician in Memphis. I'm with you also just in terms of place being important and this band. Cause when we were talking earlier, I told you that I lived in Oxford, Mississippi yeah. for a little while, which is very close to Memphis and everyone in Northern Mississippi calls Memphis, the capital of Northern Mississippi, you know? So if you're going to fly anywhere, you have to go to the Memphis airport, you know? So, and I did most of my big star like deep dive listening while I was in Oxford in grad school and just being that close to Memphis it, it felt like extra special and like extra important to just feel that close to to ardent and to feel close to something that isn't just like Elvis and Jerry Lee Lewis and Cash and everyone come out son or everyone stacks or high records but this this one little piece of rock history that somehow expands to Athens, but then also all the punk bands in Minnesota 
in the eighties. And then somehow all of the, the Wilco guys, uh, you know, so just be, being kind of geographically that close felt like something very important to me. And, and also just being from the South, kind of having this, like, this, it's kind of a hometown pick if you're a Southerner where it's really nice. Cause you know, we're from Florida, Rob and I, so we have Tom Petty, um, but it's nice to also have like kind of big star in your arsenal, someone that isn't just blues or soul related, but someone who is influential in like the indie rock and like the punk rock world and alternative rock. I mean, I guess what I'm leading toward is what makes big star, not just an important like Memphis band or cult band, but like just as more generally, like as one of these great American rock bands, what, what kind of is their legacy and why is it important? This is something you alluded to earlier when you were talking about like their story being like important. They have an incredible impact for a band that I think everybody considered at the time to be a colossal failure. They have had this outsized impact that just spans generations. Um, you know, there are bands forming right now that are, are, are trying to learn the licks of way out West or something like that. Like mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's ongoing. And, you know, for me, I think of them like my velvet underground, like that was, right, right. that's the band that everybody says, you know, Oh, not a lot of people heard that band, but everybody who did started a band. And I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't, but I started a, you know, a career in music. I, you know, that, that kind of impact is really important. And it's also interesting too, that, 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 that sort of failure, that, that obscurity becomes romanticized when people talk about them. And I I think that you have a lot of artists who see big stars pointing to a different way to be successful in, in music. Like you don't have to be Tom Petty. You don't have to be REM. You can be somebody who is maybe not appreciated in your lifetime you can you can release an album and it might flop but you can say it'll find its audience you know and Mm -hmm. and i think that that gives people maybe a little bit of hope a little bit of reason to keep going a little bit of different perspective on what it means to be successful in in rock music it's you know you don't have to make it on the cover of rolling stone you just gotta come out with a record that has a song like 13 on it you know and that's arguably more successful than you know, be on the cover of a magazine. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's the thing that, that lasts and perseveres and, and mm-hmm. you know, the, that is incredibly important. And it also just feels like it's a more personal thing. It's like, you can discover this band on your own and you can figure out what they mean to you without, you know, I've heard some of those Tom Petty songs so much that I don't even hear them anymore. Mm-hmm. And I've never had that problem with Big Star. You know, it's it it's a little bit more personal, a little bit more approachable and ownable. Right. Free Fallen belongs to everybody. Whereas, you know, like oh Dana, like that's that's me and like my few friends who know what that is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
before we move on to the records, let's kind of stay regionally. So they, they are a band from Memphis. And when you listen to them talk, you know, they are a Memphis band <laughs> and it comes out a little bit when Alex sings, but not a whole lot, not always. Um, so do you think of big star as kind of a alternative Southern rock band or is there, do you, would you begin to categorize their music as Southern at all? I mean, that's a really good question and one that is kind of hard to pinpoint an answer to. I've been thinking about this a lot with a lot of different bands, you know, just writing about the truckers and their relationship to the South. They are an obviously Southern band. I mean, you can point to very specific things and say, this is the South. And with Big Star, it's a little bit hazier, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear it, but it's hard to explain exactly what that is, um, you know, and I think about like Southern rebellion, which is a very complicated issue, very problematic in a lot of ways, but when directed the right way, it can be very meaningful and subversive and, and, and beneficial. And I think that's kind of something that I see in their story in, the way they were, the kind of music they were making in Memphis, they were sort of rebelling against this idea of Memphis being strictly this blues rock soul capital. They were rebelling and saying, we're not doing this. Um, And then there are certain turns of phrases as well in his lyrics. There's a, that song Holocaust. Um, There's that song. They were on the stairs laughing at your ears. And mm-hmm. I think it's errors, like E-R-R-O-R-S. But I always like to think it's errors, like somebody putting on airs. And, mm-hmm. and that to me, just that whole song feels like a Tennessee Williams play. Like it feels like there's this Southern kind of decayed, decadent quality to that song that reminds me specifically of like Tennessee Williams. So uh, my very vague sort of non-answer answer is, is I think it, they are Southern it's just kind of hard to exactly put your finger on that quality. No, I think you're right though about third in particular leaning toward like the Southern Gothic, maybe most obviously musically on number one record on feel when like the horns come in and that's a very Memphis thing to happen uh, on, a, on a song, but I'm with you. There is this kind of thing. It, it, it's Memphis and it's not, you know, cause Memphis is such a place of, of musical innovation especially with rock and roll. And so it's that spirit of innovation that came out of sun, the sun studio, um, but over at Arden in just like a completely different way. It's looking at rock and roll looking, you know, they're in Memphis, but they also have, you know, the inside of the British invasion now. And so now where can rock go? And I feel like that's kind of the big star story as well Is where, where can we take rock now that we have all these influences from all over the country and all over the world. And here we are in Memphis where it all started, you know, what's the next place for this to go? I want to, I want to take advantage of, of, of just a moment. And for the, for the sake of our listeners, um, we really want to encourage our listeners. You want to pick up uh, this book where the devil don't stay traveling the South with the drive by truckers. And it gives us a good opportunity to, ask you to kind of inject a little bit into it because you mentioned on third and and Mackay, you kind of bring up this idea of this kind of Southern Gothic idea that's, that's kind of present in third. 
Um, and certainly the drive by truckers are a band that wears Southern Gothic on their sleeve. Um, do you see any relationship between a band like the drive by truckers and in, in, in influence of big star? Do you, do you see a relationship between big star and a band like the drive by truckers? I mean, I do, uh, very specifically, I mentioned, uh, I brought up some of the big star story in the book and I got a note from Patterson saying that I got a, a detail wrong in this, in my story that I have to correct in the paperback. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm going to just see if people can, can get it. Cause it is some deep big star arcana here. It is like, he, he like he knows his stuff and yeah, I definitely think that, I mean, they listen to a lot of different stuff and they, they know their, their rock history really, really well. And, you know, I think when they moved, so they moved from Muscle Shoals area to Memphis in 1991 and tried to make it in Memphis. And I think part of moving there was because that's where big star was from. It's where a lot of people were from, but you know, big star were there and they love big star. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's definitely a, um, an influence for, for the truckers and, and probably a lot of other Southern rock bands uh, that have been come up in the last 20 years. One of, one of the things, Stephen, that we have asked you here to do in the year and a half that we have been doing this podcast, one of the things that we have done is we have set ourselves a rule. And, and it may be a little bit of a ridiculous rule that like all great music fans, we love a list. And, you know, you, you are a regular contributor to Uncut Magazine which has just released their 300 albums of the, of the last 25 years. Um, we were actually talking about that issue yesterday. And, and so you understand this idea of, of wanting how you put a list together, what the desire is to put a list together. And we kind of realized is we look through all these lists, kind of the historic canonical list of the greatest albums of all time, that one of the things that ends up happening inevitably is you end up with a small handful of artists that end up monopolizing most of your top hundred. So how many Bob Dylan albums, how many Beatles albums, et cetera. And so we set ourselves a rule as we put this list together in our podcast that we could only pick one album per artist. And so this has been really problematic, especially for an artist like big star for a band like big star going, all right, how do we pick just one big star album? And so for Micaiah and I, my favorite big star album is Radio City. Micaiah's is third. And so we're not going to ignore number one record. We want to talk about that later. But since we're going chronologically, we're going to start here with Radio City. So, Stephen, we want to ask you, what, what do you think is the case for Radio City being on our list as one of the best hundred albums? It's, it's funny because I go back and forth between which one I like more. 
And I mentioned earlier that I really thought that those first two kind of belong together, that are they're connected, but all, really all three of them are. And I think of them as like this three act play where, you know, number one record introduces everything. Radio City complicates everything. And third resolves everything or doesn't resolve everything. It's like a, it's like a tragedy or a comedy. I haven't figured out which one it is yet. That's well put. That's well put. (laughs) And I, as the middle of three brothers, I gravitate toward middle things. And I really love the way radio city sits between these two records. Mm -hmm. You've got a lot of these super constructed, super purposeful, power pop songs, but then you've got a little bit of that complication to them. Like there's something that's just not right about some of them. There's some where they, you can tell they came up to a decision they had to make and they went with the weirdest choice they they had at their disposal. And that would carry over to third. Um, But for me, radio city hits that really just perfect spot of, of having just like, it's the the quintessential big star thing because it is, it is power pop, but it is also this weird other thing as well. And I just really, I think that, that, that to me, every time I listen to it, that to me is what comes to mind is just like, it's, it's this kind of like skewed thing. Um, so um, you know, and like I said, third is, is great. I'm a big fan, but it is super dark. I mean, it is so dark that it is almost like hard to take sometimes, even though like the upbeat songs are super dark. So this one has a little bit more, it lets a little bit more light into it. I think. Yeah. I, the, the way I typically put it is, you know, number, number one record is a record with a ton of hope in it. It's, it's, you know, it's the first record a band makes it's here we go right out of the gate. And Radio City, it it it's almost like Alex Chilton going, all right, we're we'll give it a shot. We'll we'll <laughs> we'll 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 make this second album. So again, it has a, still a little bit of optimism, like, well, maybe we'll get things figured, you know. So like these songs being written and recorded, you know, before the relationship falls apart between Columbia Records and Stacks, which ultimately leads to you know, the, the, the record not being distributed. So, I mean, there's still this hope to it. My, my issue with third is it does feel like the wheels are falling off the car as they're making the album. I mean, it, it's, I don't know if it's the, the, that dark in terms of the, the themes and the lyrical content or just that dark, but also as someone who's born in 1980, my, all of my introduction to this music is as someone who has received this music along with the mythology of this band. So it's also hard for me to, I, I think, separate out the mythology with hearing this music because I never had them separated. So it's, it's always receiving the mythology along with this music. And so I'm, I'm kind of with you, like Radio City feels like these really big pop rock numbers that are placed in between especially on side two of the record you end up with a song like daisy glaze she's a mover and then september girls so you know the biggest hit of the song the most you know the the biggest kind of pop number of the song really kind of stuck inside two in between some pretty 
obscure songs some some songs that are um that are that are certainly the the stranger of the decisions that that they could be making but again i i kind of like all of that like i i i, I like the thing that i love about big star is that it, it forever feels like you're listening to a band with a bunch of potential and somehow it's when that potential isn't fully realized is when they're at their most interesting. That's a really good way to put it. And, and, you know, it, it definitely feels like if, if number one record had been a number one record, if it had been a, a big hit, you know, you would have very, very different follow-ups. You would not have radio city and you would definitely not have third, like these things that were, you know, there's that lets a lot of frustration and a lot of uh, stress and anxiety into it. And, and, you know, it's that to me is maybe more valuable than you know, a, a more traditional follow-up or something like that. I want to push back a little bit, right? When you talked about number one record kind of being the most or the more optimistic because that was a really dark record too. Um, feel, you know, the, the tag is, you know, I feel like I'm dying, mm-hmm. you know, is the opening, you know, opener for that, that record. Um, and I think that's part of the, more of the Chris Bell um, side of things. Cause I mean, Alex did have a number one record with the box tops, the letter. Give me a ticket for an aeroplane. Ain't got time to take a fast train. Lonely days are gone. I'm a going home. My baby just wrote me a letter. I don't care how much money I gotta spend. Got to get back to my baby again. Lonely days are gone. I'm a going home. You know what I mean? So Chris Bell and the, the Memphis, the other Memphis guys who, you know, stayed in Memphis and didn't get to go off to be with the box tops have more to prove. And when you get to side two, one of the lines is like, it's hard to be alive. You know, like that's really dark, you know, um, give me another chance, try again. Like they've already, it's like you, they call the number one record, but it seems like they maybe they know they're doomed to fail because they're already on my side to give you another chance, try again, you know, watch the sunrise, like new day, new try. You know what I mean? So I, I don't know the number one record is more optimistic. It sounds brighter than third, but I think it, it it's nearly equally dark. Um, yeah. On radio city. Or do you want to add to that? No, no, I, I, but I do think that's an interesting point. And, and I think we can come back to, to number one record. I do think that, that, that you, you, you kind of made mention of this in passing, but I do think that that's an important distinction for the most part in radio city and third, you're, you're really just looking at, you know, at Alex Chilton songs or Chilton and Hummel songs. Like number one record is really split pretty evenly between Alex Chilton and, and Chris Bell. And, and I think that you really hear that distinction between them, you know, because you, you kind of made the point of, you know, a song like Feel, like Feel followed by Battle of, El, you know, Ballad of El, El Goodo. And then the, the ballad, ballad of El Goodo is, you know, we're, we're immediately hit with this juxtaposition of Chris Bell and Alex Chilton and the way, in the way they write. And, 
you know, we'll talk about us when we talk about number one record, but it does, it makes me, you know, it makes me wish that either that the album had been more of a success or that, you know, it was during a period of time where Chris Bell could have gotten more help for, I think some of the mental health issues he was going with, because I would really have loved, you know, in a perfect world, we would have gotten more albums of Chris Bell and Alex Chilton together. Cause I, I think, I think the, the dichotomy of that relationship makes, makes them really fascinating. Well, Chris Bell's I Am the Cosmos is, is a great record mm-hmm. also. And Alex is on you and your sister on that track. And it's a really beautiful uh, song. So they, they remain friends um, and, and stayed close. Um, but yeah, Chris, I just, just with his own issues, just couldn't keep going, uh, yeah. unfortunately. But with Radio City, like, again, like, with our rule of there only need to be one record, I, I don't think there's a wrong pick when you go to Big Star. Like, any one of these is the right pick. You know yeah, what I mean? I like, yeah, yeah. You know, they're, for me, there are three, three tens, right? Mm-hmm. These are perfect scores across the board. Um, uh, even though Steven famously, I think this is still the case, only has one album ranked uh, with a 10 on Pitchfork. Two, two now. Two? What are I need they? to update that. Yeah. <laughs> you gave Murmur, like the deluxe Murmur one. Yeah. And Cocteau Twins, uh, Heaven or Las Vegas gets it. Got it. Yeah. Got it. So um, I would give a lot of others 10 as well, but uh, those are the two that are in print uh, that, that I gave 10s to. So it might it. be the only I've gave, given 10s to across that I've written about. So. Wow. Right you know, you have, have a, have a high, have a high bar, have a high expectation level uh, for great music. And I imagine that that's probably true for a lot of music journalists because just the sheer amount of music you're hearing. So it's hard, it's hard to say everything is great because at a certain point you can't listen to all of it as a fan. You have to listen to some of it with some uh, objective distance. Exactly. And, and, you know, what I've given these, big star albums of 10 when I first heard them, probably not, but they, they, I spent time with them and, 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 you know, dug out these meanings from, from the music and, and, and really grew to appreciate them in a way that I think a lot of people have. So um, I think getting to spend time with music, you know, getting to spend time with music in a way that does not have a deadline involved mm-hmm. uh, or just finding the music when you need to find it, when it's, when it's going to hit you at, at, at its hardest point. In a way, what I do is a little artificial. Like I've got to assess something in a given amount of time, but uh, uh, in a perfect world, I'd just be able to live with everything as long as it took to love it. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. And for our listeners, you know, so, so often the listeners of podcasts, um, you know, we, we have an audience full of music nerds. And so you're the same people who are, you know, reading all, all of these same, uh, these, these same sources that, uh, Stephen's writing for. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot of writers, a lot of music journalists you love that you're, you're reading their reviews of something and you can't believe that they don't see something the way you do. Just remember not every, not every person writing about music has spent as much time, uh, with the albums as you have, or, or has the personal relationship to the music that you do. And so, you know, bear, bear that in mind next time you're, you're silently cursing the, the music journalist who hasn't given a perfect score to your favorite album. 
or not so silently uh, cursing us. <laughs> yeah. Bear that in mind in the comment section, I guess, is what we should really say. <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk about Radio City some more because mm-hmm. I do love this record. And I mean, uh, uh, the mark of a good record or a great record or a perfect record is, uh, for me, a good opener, good closer. And one thing Radio City has going for is maybe the best opening and closing tracks of a big star record. Um, oh, my soul. The longest, I think, mm-hmm. big star song also just a great rock and roll song. I mean, just a uh, full force. And, and, and I, it's weird. Cause like I do get the Memphis thing mm-hmm. from, Oh, my soul. And maybe it's, you know, they're maybe they're just, cause they're saying soul. Um, and, and it's self-referential, which is very fun. Like I won't need to drive a car when I'm a big star, you know, or, you know, don't have a license to drive my car. Yeah. So that like, that's really fun. That's kind of a postmodern rock and roll kind of comment. But, but it feels a little bit it, like it is Memphis. And it's not because it, you can also hear that um, maybe, and we know this because he covers them eventually. Maybe something like Mark Boland's take on rock and roll has also maybe entered Alex's equation at this point, uh, which is very fun. Um, any anyone else comments on "Oh My Soul"? Yeah. So I I actually the thing that I find so interesting about it in hearing the you're talking about hearing Memphis in it is it's it's the lone mono mixed song on the album hmm. so i i i think that so for me that that mono mix of the album draws back to sun studios and early stacked records that, that like so you're you're opening with this long song you're opening with with this song that does seem to be um, very rooted in kind of the history of Memphis and even the way that it's mixed, you, you don't get a stereo mix on this song. And so the lack of a stereo mix makes it sound very kind of 1950s, early 1960s and the way that the, in way that the, the instruments sound and the way the mix sounds um, is something that I really love about that song. And it's, and it's strange to me that you would have a, you know, on on an album that you'd have the rest of the songs mixed in stereo in the in the opening track mixed in mono so that that's it seems like a very intentional choice that was made yeah I, it's funny i that one to me always sounded like the most modern like you know it, it, to me it felt like it was of a piece with like pavement or something like that they'd had this kind of loose quality to it it's it it sounds almost like live like maybe they haven't rehearsed it enough or something like that there's a quality to it where it's like especially like the drums on that that the drums are almost playing against the guitar rhythms and it's like the guitar is doing this kind of weird inverted boogie rock kind of riff and and 
yeah, I mean, it is, it is a great opener. It is such a great introduction to that album. And on that CD that I used to have of, that had them both in, you know, hearing that transition from the end of uh, number one record to, to, Oh, my soul was just like very jarring in a way that I think was kind of fun. Like it was just like, Oh, and now we're going to do this. And it's very abrupt and we're doing something completely different. And it's, it's not completely different, but it is, it is pretty, it, it is, you know, it is a pretty abrupt change. And, and um, I do think that that's kind of also where he went, where Alex Shelton went a little bit in some of his solo stuff as well, that, that kind of loose boogie adjacent sound. Mm-hmm. See, yeah. what I feel it's most modern on the record is stuff like the the following track, Life is White, mm-hmm. where like this is where I hear like, oh, yes, now I understand there is no like Wilco, like without like a track like this, where like the music is like, like bump, 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 like these like just really hammering this piano, like the way the harmonica is being blared out in different times. And then the there's this weird drum pattern that's playing up against this like piano, this like really plucky piano part, and then kind of back into the groove again. This is like okay, this is this is where like in the Wilco discography, this is where like being there kind of happens. I mean, I do think it's interesting that we've gone from Pavement to Wilco in two songs. And, and that, to me, speaks to the band's, you know, impact, especially in the 90s. Um, you had, like, the 90s was the time when all of the these bands that were really into Big Star were becoming weirdly popular, like the Lemonheads, and R.E.M., and, and people like that. And I, I do think that there is a lot of sort of indie rock, like 90s indie rock that takes a lot from this album and the way it's producing, the way it's arranged. I mean, that harmonica on My Life is White is one of my favorite sounds on the record, just pure sound. I mean, it's such a a great instrument. And I actually have a Mandela effect with this album because I keep thinking that harmonica is on what's going on. And not my life is white. I, in fact, right before we we got on the phone, I had to double check and like, okay, where is that harmonica on this damn album? So it's like a free floating thing. But yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, I think Boko and especially being there is drawing a lot from from that palette. 
you know, it's funny that you mentioned kind of that Mandela effect with what's going on. Like there's, there's a few songs on, on this album, especially on, on the, the A side. And this is, this is one of those albums where the A the A side and the, and the B side, the, the A side very much feels like, all right, we're going for it. We're giving it a second shot. We're, we're making a pop rock album. And, and then by the time you get to the second, the second side of this, this record, it's kind of like, no, we're just, we're going to make whatever music we want to. Cause it seems to be, it seems to be at least sonically kind of all over the place on, on the second side of, uh, of this record. But I love you get what you deserve as a, as a side one closer. I think, I think that's a great closer and a great kind of bookend to, Oh, my soul for, for the, for the A side. Yeah, I read somewhere that they, the album was sequenced, so all the weird stuff would be at the end when they played the record. So, but even then, you've got some weird stuff on the on the A side A anyway. So I guess it's all relative. But uh, yeah, I mean, they're it's weird because discovering the band in the CD age, and then really, really digging in deep in the vinyl resurgence, like I. I still have a hard time thinking about this in sides rather than just one long playlist, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think for a lot of us, I mean, I mean, CD is the first, is the first medium where I heard, where I heard these albums. Um, and then, you know, streaming much, much more in the kind of mid two thousands as I, as I really got more into them. But yeah, that, that same idea of thinking of listening to a song on CD, it really does change the way or, or streaming, it does change the way you digest an album and, and especially the way you think about sequencing. And so it's one of the things that I like to think, especially for an album that came out in 1971 to kind of go back and go, all right, how did they sequence this based on how it was going to be released? Um, but that being said, Mod Lang does feel like a really strange side <laughs> to opener. Yeah. Yeah. That one definitely seems like a strange side to opener. And then it just kind of ends with these quieter songs too. It's just kind of like, I won't say it peters out, but it's like, it's not a big forceful ending. It's just kind of a quieter, weirder kind of wandering off. You know, mm. I, you know, we were talking about, Oh, my soul and, and hearing a little bit of kind of Memphis in, in Oh, my soul. I also feel like that in the close, the, the kind of chorus to I'm in love with a girl feels, feels a little bit kind of like a, a, a Memphis throwback just in the chorus. And, and maybe it's just lyrically for me, but, but that idea of um, the, you know, the, the way he, the true, uh, true, like the, 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 the draw out of the word true in the chorus yeah, over yeah. and over again, feels it feels almost like something that would come out of early sun studios
Even that sentiment, I mean, just that very simple, straightforward sentiment feels like it's a, it's from a different time. It feels like it's from like, you know, the early sixties or, or some, you know, something like that. It could be the Beatles, you know, and, and, uh, I, I always think of that as him, as his attempt to write a song like Chris Bell, that mm. I always put that one alongside you and your sister in 13 and as the, you know, it, it, it's, it, expressing something very straightforwardly and to me very sincerely it's there's no irony there there's no sort of distance it's just kind of a the sweet sentiment that that he's he's delivering and and uh that one that one always kind of stands out to me and it's such a nice way it's it's like this little exclamation point on the album where it, it it does kind of wander off but it is it is such a sweet way to kind of leave things the leave that second act right before you begin third I, I, I love that, you know, just thinking about the way you just put that, this, this picture we get, because you had mentioned earlier that Radio City can sometimes feel like in, an emotionally detached album. And, and again, that, that idea of what, what did Chris Bell bring to the plate? What did Alex Chilton bring to the plate? But this idea of, okay, I'm in love with a girl as Alex Chilton, maybe trying to write a little bit like Chris Bell and, and that sincerity, that sweetness, that, you know, the, 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 the lack of cynicism coming, coming right to the forefront. Um, it is, it, it's, it, and, and maybe that's why I'm in love with her also. Like, it feels like a great closer to this album, but in many ways it does, it feels like maybe the only song in the album that doesn't fit kind of the, the emotional detachment that you hear otherwise. There's something with some of the, like back of a car, where it's describing this kind of tryst that is going nowhere. And it kind of ends with the, like the saddest masturbation joke. Um, and, you know, and what's going on as well, where it's just, you know, he's given up on, he thinks he's given up on everybody. And, and these, he, he comes across to me now as somebody who is, trying to express something very complicated about himself mm. and maybe this music is not the best vehicle but it's the only one he has and i really think that that to me is the reason i thought that it was a little detached at first and now has made me realize that there's something more there that you know that to me is is 
maybe that's makes this all a tragedy after all is that mm. this is somebody who the best thing he can do and the thing he does so well. And in a lot of cases better than anybody else is still not enough. It's yes. still not enough to get the point across. Yeah. And again, oh, I, I, I love, I love the way all of that ties in, you know, cause again, I, I think this is one of those bands that, um, it, you know, there's a great story. There's a great narrative. There, there's, there's a, there's a great mythology, um, or around this band. And so even, even kind of hearing you talk about it that way, you know, I, I think, I think it does. I, I, and I think we're all prone to, um, wanting to romanticize. I, I think this is a romantic story either way, but I think we're all prone because of, because of the story that is big star. I think we're all prone to wanting to romanticize and, and read meaning in, into these albums and these songs. And I know I, I certainly am, am looking for that. So I love that. I love that picture of like, these songs are the best I can do and it's still not going to be enough. That's yeah. a, 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 you know, a very bittersweet way of seeing it, but I think very, very fitting of this band. Entire conversation on Radio City, and we didn't even talk about the biggest song on the record, the um, the huge hit, the the best clean sounding guitar tone from the nineteen seventies, <laughs> from 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 any album in the nineteen seventies, the best clean guitar tone you get on any song from the nineteen seventies in September Girls. I think that's right. Um, yeah, I, I don't even I don't even know what a September Girl is, um, or a December Boy. I don't really know. I don't really care. Um, yeah. But I, I love the song so much. Um, covered by the Bengals. That's that's good for them in the 80s, right? To keep the big star conversation going. Um, but it, yeah, anyone else have anything they want to add on <laughs> September Girls other than just like, yeah, it's great. Perfect song. Yeah. I mean, my read on that. Uh, so Alex Shelton was born in on December 28th. So he's the December boy. And the girl he was dating at the time was, was a, uh, was born in September. So she's the September girl and he was huge into astrology. And so I feel like this is a song about astrology and whether or not your sign can match up with this other person's sign. That's how I read it. I, I, that is not official. That is not canonical. That's just kind of my, my take on it. Um, but yeah, I mean, that song is just, uh, yeah, perfect. I don't even, I don't like to call things perfect all the time. I think imperfection is more interesting than perfection, but that song is perfect. I mean, that song is just like, you know, it, that is, yeah. I mean, it's just, I, I, I'm having a hard time coming up with words because it's just like, it's just remarkable. So Rob, you say it's time to move on to third. Yeah. So let me, let me, set us up here because this is, this is really the big question. I think we have to wrestle with first after Columbia records 
ends their relationship, their distribution relationship with stacks. Stacks is now bankrupt and in the bankruptcy filings, Ardent is set adrift and now there's potentially no label. There's potentially no method of distribution. Um, not that, not that number one record or radio city have, have done very well or, or sold at all in, in some cases, but now here they are seemingly in a more hopeless position than they were before. Alex Chilton with some new band members goes in, they're going to record the third album at some point during the recording process, members of the band and then Alex himself ultimately kind of lose interest album is shelves and never released and band breaks up. And we get to 1978 before any version of this album is, is officially released, but there was a test pressing of this record. And so I want to start here. If we're going to talk about third being an album for us to consider, we first have to define what are we talking about when we talk about third? What is the album that we intend to discuss if we're saying this is the album that we want to consider? No, that's exactly it. I mean, it, it is a complicated record in that it's also complicated to even call it a big star record because um, even Chris Bell was like, yeah, I think Alex is just making his own record now and Jody's helping out. And I think maybe they're calling it themselves sister lovers. You know, so there's nothing even on the tapes at Ardent with the name Big Star on it. You know, it was going to be, the band itself was going to be called Sister Lovers, which is kind of an alternative title that it, it now has. So, um, you know, but when they went to shop that promo record around in 75, they put the Big Star name on it. And Alex didn't even know that. I don't think, I don't, I don't know how aware he was of that when it happened, but. I mean, ironically, they're like, I guess Big Star has more clout, so we'll try to shop that name around. Um, and so there is a test pressing, and it has its own track list. And in 1978, PVC puts it out with a different track list. And then the 80s, it comes out again um, in the UK and in the States with another track list. And then the Ryko disc comes out in the 90s, and it has three different track lists for the U.S., U.K., and the German, I think, releases. So I, I, did, I was looking at different copies, you know, and kind of researching this, and I counted no fewer than 10 different versions of this album. Um, people call it Unfinished. You know, people say, you know, and Alex too, and there's like, well, there's no official track list. There's no official, you know, so, and so some of them are sequenced different, but some of them have different songs on them. No one has settled on a name for this record, you know, so calling it Big Star's third album is, or the third album is kind of just the easiest way to start the conversation. And I mean, even the cover, it's the, the cover uh, has changed over there's like several different covers as well. So it's, Oh yeah. Uh, do you have one that you go to or that you think is more legitimate than, than the others? I mean, I think they're all fair game. Um, and I think it's just, you know, what, what kind of gets you in the door. Cause I had, I had heard like the Ryko disc version, like that's, yeah, that was the third I heard. And it, it didn't do much for me when I first heard, it, I was like, well, this isn't, number one record in in radio city, you know, this is, I don't know, this is kind of weird, but when I, you know, when the complete third box set came out that had 
the demos and the rough mixes and then all the masters and the masters on that third disc um, pretty much replicate the promo and then have like the five additional like bonus tracks. And that version was like my end, like opening with stroke at null and ending with take care, I think is essential for what that record is. Hey, child, will you come on down? Come on in with me. Morning says to idle on. Stay clear of the streets. Oh, on the wing. And of them, can you sing the end? You know, I, I, I think everyone has their own preference and I think that's fine. And I think that that is part of the appeal of the record because everyone likes to play the game like, oh, well, what if you made the White Album into one disc? What if you made Sandinista into one LP or just a double LP? But like that just is third. You know what I mean? Everyone is trying to like put this thing together. Like, I don't know, is this the best version of third? Like every few years there's another version. And I think that's, that's part of the appeal. I definitely agree. Actually. Like, I think for me, there's not one that I consider third. It's just kind of like this amorphous changing modular thing that keeps shifting around. And it's, mm-hmm. it's not always easy to put your finger on it. And, and it definitely seems to me that that plays into the story and the mythology as well, where it's just like something that is fractured and fragmented and barely holding on to the degree that there's no definitive version of the album. And that to me is very powerful. And I kind of love going through a lot of these different ones and seeing, you know, playing like, you know, you know, armchair mixer and, and like, mm-hmm. okay, the sequencing should be this or that. And, and it definitely, you know, adds to this idea that you can have a personal relationship with this band and this album that, that excludes radio or excludes larger pop culture that it can, that, you know, to the extent where you're making the, you're, you're, you're literally just like putting it together on your own. And that to me, I, I'm not as familiar with the, the most recent box set as I should be, but you know, I remember the Ryko disc version and the, the, the four men with beards version, which mm-hmm. is, decent uh you know i i just i kind of love something that's that's never quite settled that's kind of always up in the air and always it's like it's it's almost like it's not done with this story yet i don't, I don't know it's there's so yeah. much to think about and dig into there well it's the perfect final statement for the band you know it's they're the greatest band that never took off and their final record is one that never came out <laughs> And yet we have all these different versions of it. And then you, you hear people from, you know, like Ira Kaplan and you hear the guys from Wilco and 
Mike Mills and Peter Bug talk about these songs and whichever, you know, and they probably found it in different forms also with such affection. And for me, someone who came to Big Star really by way of, of those bands, you know, by hearing them talk about it and cover these songs all the time is kind of was kind of more my end. So and for me, being able to like draw that line, like, oh, so everything that I love about indie rock and people like Elliot Smith and, and, and Wilco and Yola Tango, like I can draw the line from them to third easily. And for something to come out to be recorded in 1974, but not officially till 78 and still over and over again, like every decade, there's a new version of it, but if it to still sound so contemporary in every decade that it comes out, I, I don't know what other piece of art, exist this this like that especially in music you can have your uk and us versions of like the early beatles records but there's nothing like this you know what it must have felt like to be a big star fan and then have Ryko disc release this album that you've probably never even heard. Like I, I, I imagine the first two albums were pretty much out there and, and, and available, but this one was not. And so to have like the significant final chapter added to this story, uh, I always wonder like if you were a, like a huge devotee of this band at the time, what that felt like. It, yeah, it must Jeff Tweedy writes about it in his book a little bit, just being like, he, you know, being kind of like the old man being like, talking about how younger people never understand that just for years, he just read about big stars third years of just reading about it and never finding it, never hearing it, you know? And, and so that's definitely part of, for people, you know, in, in that generation, part of the appeal of just like this literally lost record, that's just waiting to be found by someone, you know, but even now um, it is kind of a, it's not a lost record, but it still has cult status and cult meaning. And I think is, um, and, and still highly influential yeah. um, just as much as the other three. But this one for me also, the, the big appeal is that, you know, it is the past present, and future of rock and roll, you know, and you can look at the covers they decide to do for this album, right? Chronologically, like Nature Boy uh, with William Eggleston on piano, right? Uh, a Nat King Cole song that's written by someone whose name I don't think I can pronounce, Eden Abez, A-H-B-E-Z, who was a, a mystic in California, who apparently also like lived in the woods and like wrote this song was a big part of the, of the hippie movement. Right. So this, but it's a pop song from the 1940s, but it sounds really dark and really peculiar. And so you get this peculiar album and Alex is basically like, look, there's a precedent for this. 
this was pop music in the 1940s. What I'm doing isn't that weird. We just somewhere along the way, just let pop music only be this kind of one thing, this thing that sells really well and makes you feel really great. There, there's another way to do this, you know, and then covers like whole lot shaking going on, mm-hmm. which of course is Memphis. Yeah. Right. It is really diving deep into that Memphis, Jerry Lee Lewis son thing. And then till the end of the day, right? So it's like, yeah, everyone said that we're, yeah, we are from Memphis and we, you know, when we interpret rock and roll through uh, the British invasion, here's our Kinks cover, right? And then finally, right, Finn Fatale, you know, doing the Velvet Underground. It's like, hey, and here's, here's the next thing. I mean, that's still looking back at the end of the 60s. Um, it's, but, you know, doing that like proto-punk garage rock uh, kind of thing, but in a way that's different because he's singing Nico's part and Lisa is uh, doing the background in French. So it's still very different than just like a straightforward kind of Lou Reed Velvet Underground cover. So looking at the past, it's all, of course, the present because it's all a record that comes in the 1970s. And what we've been talking about, right, it looks forward to the future. Take care not to hurt Because what I'm hearing from you both is this idea that the idea that this album is unfinished and then therefore it arrives to us without a consistent sequence or even consistent songs, um, you know, changing covers released in different formats. That, that is, I think all part of what it's part of what makes this album great. It's also what makes this how this album hard to define. It makes this album hard to say, okay, here's when we're talking about third, here's what we're talking about, because you're kind of talking about all of it. And so because of that, when you're talking about third, you're really kind of talking about this band more even than, than a single album. So as much as possible, I want to help kind of draw our attention and focus to this album. So, so looking at the, uh, the original 14 songs from the 1975 Ardent and Test Pressing and kind of starting there, what are, what, what are for, for each of you, and Stephen, I want to start with you, what are, what are your big songs? What are, what are for you the real high points of third? What are the things that are meaningful? What are the, the songs you find yourself kind of going back to again and again? I mean, 
you know, I always uh, love thank you, friends. I think there's something about that line. Thank you, friends, for you made it also probable uh, instead of possible. And I always thought that was a that was a sly move on his part. Um, you know, I I always loved Odena. I thought that was such a great great song. Um, and you know, I rem I, I like Kangaroo. Um, and I remember there was a, I remember hearing this bizarre Jeff Buckley cover of that that just like was just completely deconstructive. Um, and I think one that I just always come back to though is Holocaust. I think when I think of this album, I think of Holocaust. Um, you know, just as I mean, it just feels like it is it is this sort of dis distillation of, of all of all of this in, into this song that is very slow and weird and dark and sort of has this kind of decayed quality, not only to the music, but also to the sentiments, to the emotions in it, uh, and to the characters in it. Um, so I would say those are the sort of big ones for me. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing out on something because some of the names aren't, uh, titles aren't coming to, to my head right now, but uh, I think those are the main ones I'd say right off. Your eyes are almost dead, can get out of bed, and you can sleep. You're sitting down to dress, and you're a mess. You look in the it is a song with its own gravity. I mean, it, it is, it is that kind of heavy and big and um, it, it is, it is the song for me that kind of takes over this album in a, in a lot of ways, just, just because of, of how big that song is in terms of the, the weight surrounding it. Um, but it, it beyond with you, that's, that's a great song. And then of course, Oh, Dana, what a what a phenomenal song that is it is thank you friends and holocaust going back to back at least in the sequencing of the test pressing um is 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 such a strange sequencing choice on that on that test pressing um but but i i, I do kind of love thank you friends as a setup for a song that intense 
I mean, the side one's even wackier than that. I mean, first of all, Stroke at Null, which is just amazing. Like, huge, great song. Like, the strings are like, okay, new band, new style, new new sound. Like, this is something very new, you know? And then that beautiful sound into Downs. What is this, like, cacophony of like, of sound and just, like, bings and bangs and a bunch of guys singing about quaaludes all right into a velvet underground cover then into thank you friends then into holocaust then into jesus christ which sounds like a very sincere nativity song and then into blue moon like that side one on that test pressing is is bonkers and that i think is a very great snapshot of of alex um Period. Mm-hmm. And a great set of songs. Yeah. Um, into Nighttime, which I thought uh, Stephen would bring up as maybe a highlight. Um, Nighttime is a song about Alex walking around Memphis at night, um, famously covered by Elliot Smith. Yeah. It's, 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 I, even in this conversation, I'm going back and forth. Like, Oh yeah, like Radio City, but he's—I don't know. It's like y'all are making good, good arguments for, for, for each here. So I'm not sure whose team I want to join. <laughs> well, in in so let, let me say here because I, I, I that's not those aren't the only two teams that are that are on offer. So <laughs> so so I do want to talk about this though. Thinking about songs about Memphis, thinking about songs about Memphis in a world that includes. Mark Cohn's walking in Memphis, Tom T Hall's that's how I got to Memphis. I will take Alex Chilton's nighttime as, as, as the song of Memphis any day of the week. Agreed without even any debate. Nighttime I go out and see the people. Air goes cool and hurrying on my way and dressing as sweet. All the people to see They're looking at me All the people to see And when I set my eyes on you You look like a kitty And when you're in the mood this this is an album it, it it feels like you can you can hear the band dying on this album in some ways I don't think that's true because I I hear as as um, Alex and Jody and the people in the studio as being creatively very alive hmm. on this record. I mean, just like really um, pushing their their art and their creativity as far as they can go. You know, I I don't hear it as the band decaying. The sound, you know, some of the sounds are are dark, but to me, it just sounds like you know. I mean, but I also have. Now, I mean, but even today, just listen to 
all of the studio sessions from the box set. So, you know, they're, they're doing things like Holocaust and kangaroo, but then they're like, there's a take of them doing don't worry baby by the beach boys or kind of jamming and then going into baby strange by T-Rex or going into, I'm so tired. Um, having Alex and Lisa do, you know, that great Beatles cover, you know? So, I mean, it's, I, I think of this as them just like really jamming and really coming up with, you know, great sounds and, you know, something that we hear in indie rock now all the time is something, you know, it's, it's the norm now, you know, we expect like an indie rock record, you know, especially one that like kind of sets us up as like an important record to like go to these places, you know, but no one, I don't think any band had really done that up to this point. So I think we kind of label it as that. Um, but even like something like Holocaust, like I think of John Lennon's first record, you know, the John Lennon plastic um, Ono band with um, the opening and closing songs about being about like his mother's death, you know? And I feel like that gives Alex, you know, like, okay, well then I can talk about your mother's dead and, 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 and Holocaust, you know, it's like the greats have gone there before from Nat King Colt to John Lennon, right? We've gone to these places before, right? And they were wildly successful. And yet something happens on third where it's just like too dark to accept. Hmm. You know, it's, it's very interesting yeah. to me. Well, it gets back to something that we said we were talking about earlier. I don't remember who said it, but it was like they, they, they work well with that frustration. They work well with that sense that, that things aren't going to work out. Um, and I think that definitely, you know, animates the songs on this record in a way that, um, that sort of makes both true. It's like, yeah, this is a band dying, but this is a band that is shining brightly as it dies. Um, and you know, it, it, I saw, yeah, I think both can kind of be true that, that they're working at their, you know, at, at, at a high, um, place, you know, in these moments where the, this band is just crumbling. And, and I think there's, there's something very poetic about being able to do that. And I don't think everybody can. In fact, I think few people, few artists that I've encountered can kind of produce their best stuff when they're that frayed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, and this is a name we haven't brought up yet. Um, what allow if, you know, with all of that kind of happening that we know, like autobiographically, what keeps this record probably together is Jim Dickinson. Yeah. Um, and who is the, you know, the unsung hero of this conversation, uh, legendary producer. He, he's definitely what makes this record possible. Alex could have written these songs and performed these songs, but what makes the record possible is Jim Dickinson as the producer. I would agree with that. I would, I would, I would definitely agree with that. Great. And I think going forward, even on some of the solo stuff, I think that's, that still holds true. Um, you know, and I think that, yeah, he seems like somebody who in that Memphis scene in the mid to late seventies was kind of holding a lot of things together. Um, you know, I think about Memphis and like what Alex Chilton was doing and what Tab Falco was doing and what Jim Dickinson was doing is similar to what, the Ramones were doing with girl group music. They were sort of re-examining and reassessing all of this pop music and all of this early rock and roll. A lot of it that was 
Southern and a lot of it that was local and um, kind of creating punk music out of this. I think Memphis punk is that is, you know, like flies on Sherbert and, and early Tab Falco and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that he was Dick, Jim Dickinson was kind of at the center of, of, of a lot of that stuff. We talked with uh, Bob Mayer last season about the replacements and uh, I'm a huge fan of Please to Meet Me. And it's, it, it, one of the reasons it's my favorite replacements album is because of Jim Dixon's work as a producer. And, and in many ways, you're talking about kind of him holding, him kind of holding this all together as, you know, as, as a band's kind of falling apart, at least professionally. Um, you know, he, he very much does the same thing for the replacements, you know, after, after they've lost one of their founding members and are now in the studio working on Please to meet me. And he kind of comes along and really kind of holds, you know, holds, holds them together in a very similar way. He's, he has, has that kind of touch as a producer. And I think it's, it, it's really important to talk about in this album. two big star albums and so i I do want us to to just spend a few minutes of course talking about 2005's in space oh gosh (laughs) no 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 that's not canon that's not (laughs) no of of course for our listeners what i mean is number one record and you know as we're talking about third and radio city there is a case to be made for number one record as the best or most important uh, big star album. And, and so uh, Stephen, I want to ask you for you, what, what do you think is, is kind of the best argument for number one record? I mean, obviously the, the, the presence of Chris Bell, um, you know, he was, you know, they, they devised this as their, as Memphis's own, like Lennon, John Lennon, and Paul McCartney duo. Like they were going to be, uh, you know, that, that's, that's how they, pictured themselves and it does come through on this, this record and their, their songs kind of um, do kind of play off of each other in, a, in an interesting way. And it's got the Ballad of El Gudo. It's got 13. I mean, it's, it's, there's, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it is on its, it is a great album. It's also got the India song, mm-hmm. which is it maybe a case against it? Uh, I'm, I'm not a fan of that song. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's a case to be made there. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's kind of like um, this is setting up all the things that they're going to play with and 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 mess around with. 
for the rest of their careers, however long or short those may be. And so, and, and as an introduction, I think it works really well. Yeah. But I think I, it lacks the complications of the others is what I was going to say. But no, I but I, I I'm with you on that. I, I think if, if, so if you're, if you're someone who is approaching, if you've never heard, if you're listening to this, this episode and you have never heard big star before, I would tell you to start with number one record. I would tell you that, let that be your entrance point. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah. This, this, it it is the most accessible of their albums. It it is, it is the most easy to digest. Um, the, you know, really there are a handful of songs on this album that, you know, are, are kind of in a different world would have been certified radio hits. And, and so you, you do, you get a sense of kind of what could have been, um, but it, it does, it is, it is lacking some of the complexities and complications of their other records. But and, it still has hits. I mean, that, that's the thing about big star, right? Is that 13 is a hit. You know what yeah. I mean? Like everyone's covered 13 or like learn to play it. It's, it's on the list of like the greatest songs of all time in the street is a huge hit, especially by the time it became the theme song for that 70s show as covered by cheap trick. Um, but still, you know, that those are huge songs and Battle of El Goodo, God damn, that could be the best song of all time. I mean like that, that is an incredible song. Um, Waxahachie, when I saw her, when she started up her tour um, in 2021 for off of St. Cloud, the 2020 record, um, before the band came on, they played Ballad of El Goodo to kind of, oh. you know, kind of, you know, to kind of set the stage. She just kind of lit that play, turn the lights on, and then the band came up. And I, I was like, all right, here we go. You know, it's her just kind of, you know, entering into rock and roll or indie rock mythology. You know, it was this really kind of poetic, beautiful moment when she came on to that. You know, it's, you know, so people are still in conversation with these records. You know, it's, yeah. it's great. And, and yeah. by the way, watch the sunrise. One of the one of my favorite songs on on this record. Yeah. So now I'm and now I'm just back to like okay, I could go in three teams. I could get on, you know, with this. But uh, but no, I think I, I take your point, and I think it's very important that yeah, if somebody is listening to this and has never heard Big Star, that's the way to start. That's that's where you should. Because I mean, I think I'd be curious to hear if anybody started with Third or with Radio City. And how that changes how they relate to the music, to all the music, not just those records, but all of that. I'd be curious if if people started elsewhere, because I think everybody I know started with number one record. Yeah. So admittedly, my my first exposure to my first exposure to Big Star was the song September Girls. The very first time um, I went to college in Orlando at the University of Central Florida in the early 2000s, right, is like the uh, emo music scene was was taking off. And the very first time I ever saw the band The Get Up Kids in concert at the Social in Orlando, um, September Girls was the song they played before they took the stage. And uh, I talked with Matt Pryor of the Get Up Kids after the show, and that was what he told me about the album. So went went home and bought bought Radio City on CD at Best Buy the next day. So that was that was my first exposure, which again might be telling of why it's my favorite 
of uh, of the uh, big star albums. Rob, I don't know if we've talked about this, but I saw Chris Caraba at the social um, and he covered I'm in love with the girl and was like, if you guys don't know Big Star, you better get your fucking lives together. So I was just wow. like, this guy. <laughs> so that's, oh, that's funny. So we were both exposed to Big Star at the same venue by two different emo artists on Vagrant Records. That wasn't my exposure to Big Star, but because I got to be the guy in the crowd who was just like, that's right. <laughs> that's right. So yeah. we want to be mindful of our time here. In, in a, and I think that, like we said, there are there are three teams here and and there's no wrong choice this this is one of those bands that i think any one of these three albums is is the right choice for your favorite or for what you think is the best so we've kind of shown our hands steven for you what is what do you think what what is maybe your favorite or what do you think is the best big star album I feel like in the spirit of third, maybe it should just be big star and with no album listed. And it can just be sort of like up in the air for, for, for eternity. Um, There seems to be something very appropriate about that. So that would be my first choice is no answer at all. (laughs) My second choice would be uh, probably radio city. I think when you come down to it, I think, like musically it's really interesting and that it splits the difference between these two albums. And I think lyrically it's, it's just, it, it, it feels like it is. So um, it is expressing some things that are very difficult to express in a way that I feel is very compelling. So I think just by a hair, but if you ask me in five minutes from now, I might tell you something different. In, in, in fairness, I think for Makai and I both, I think that that's probably true for both of us is that 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 could change on, on a given day with, with this band and these albums. And so we, I, I love your, your first, your first answer that, that maybe it's just big star and whatever, whatever, whatever needs to be after that is going to be for you on the day. Stephen, we want to thank you for being here with us. We close every interview with this question. What are your top five albums now because that's a difficult question to ask very difficult we let we let that question what that question means be entirely up to you so this it can be what you think are the five best albums it can be your personal favorite albums it can be five underappreciated albums or maybe just five that you've been listening to lately well since we've been talking about big star and we've been talking about memphis and this has made me very nostalgic to get back to memphis i'm just going to go with my five favorite Memphis Records. Beautiful. And I'm leaving I'm gonna end up leaving out so many great ones too because I just can't fit them all in top five. But I'm gonna start with Al Green's Let's Stay Together. Classic. The best matchup of voice and band I can imagine. I can think of younger days when I lived for my life. Was everything a man could want to do I could never see tomorrow I was never told 
Can you stop the rain Fall now Tell me how Can you stop What makes the world go Elvis Presley from Elvis in Memphis. It's a record he made right after the 68 comeback special, which is, I think, one of the high points of television in Western culture. Um, but this record, he made it at American Sound Studio with the Memphis Boys, and it is sublime. It is, it's, it's where In the Ghetto comes from, and it's also the same sessions as Suspicious Minds. So you, it's going to be, it's, it's amazing. Um, Isaac Hayes, Hot Buttered Soul. Great album. Which is just, the drums on Walk On By, they're not flashy drums, they're just, but they're the, they're the best, sexiest drums I've ever heard. I love the drums on that sound, that song. Crafting you, crapping you negative, sort of lo-fi garage rock from the '90s. That's very, it's very weird. It's very, it's much its own thing. It's an incredible album. One of my favorite albums of all time. And my top pick is uh, Otis Redding, Otis Blue, which is, I mean, you know, one of the best soul records ever. So you know, I've been loving you. To stop now, you attacked, and you want to be free. My love is going stronger as you become a habit. To me, who am loving you too long? I don't want to stop now. 
Stephen, hey, thanks so much for being with us. It's been a real treat. And uh, we're going to be encouraging our listeners to pick up your book. And of course, to read, uh, I mean, man, uncut, pitchfork, stereo gum. I mean, you write all over the place. And so for our listeners, I promise you, you have read Stephen's work before, even if you didn't realize it. And so now you'll be able to put a voice to the words you're reading next time. Thanks so much for being with us, bud. It's my pleasure. It's been an amazing time. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Rob, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't um, a little bit disappointed. Now, I, I do think that there are no wrong answers, right? If we're only going to do one big star album, either either the three records is a perfectly fine choice, right? Um, but third for me is a is a top 10 favorite record of mine. I love third. Like, I mean, that is a, that is a personal, deep personal favorite. Um, I have a framed copy of, of number one record, you know, on my, on my wall of fame there. You know, I have original, I have an original copy of, well, I have two copies of number one record and two copies of, of radio city, but I also have original copies of both those albums. I have a promo copy of radio city. Um, but radio city is my third of the three albums it's my third favorite so for that one to have come to the surface as the one on our list hurts a little bit uh, because i love third so much um but i'm not a and i'm mad i'm just disappointed as they as they say the nature of our podcast means making the hard decisions about an artist and we've done this with a number of artists about hey what's the album to put forward but I, I really liked what Stephen said about the idea of kind of in the spirit of third, this kind of consistently and forever kind of unfinished album. And, and again, for me, you and I talked about it before the episode. And, and I told you that that was going to be my, my only issue in, in the way of me wanting to see third go forward is not that it's not a great album, not that it's not phenomenal, but that the simple fact that it, it's kind of undefinable is the thing that's hard for me because when we're doing this list, we're talking about saying, all right, here's an album and here's what that album is. And it's hard to do that with third, but using third as kind of a model for what big star is this band that's kind of perpetually unfinished there. There is part of me that just kind of wants to say, look like big star dot, 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 like big star ellipses, whatever, whatever big star record, for you needs to be the record that's on the list. We'll just have a spot for big star and you put whatever record you want there for right now. Radio city is our answer for this episode. It it could be, it could be number one record. It could be third, like big star is on here. Like it represented listener. We have text messages from today where I told Micaiah, I think it has to be number one record so that we have Chris Bell's contribution. So Uh I I am, I I am on record with Micaiah saying that uh, actually, I think neither one of us are right. It might be number one record. So again, I I think any choice you make here is the right one. And for us, it's, it's radio city. So listener, what about you? Are we introducing you to big star? 
Uh, I hope not. I hope this is a band you love already, but if we are start with number one record, don't start with radio city, start with number one record, carve out a day for yourself and go number one record radio city. And then let's say the masters, the master, the master recordings of third, which is all 14 tracks from the ardent test pressing plus five extra bonus tracks. And uh, when you're done, you can make the decision up for yourself what the best big star album is. But we want to hear from you. So reach out to us on Twitter at You Forgot One Pod, on Instagram at You Forgot One. Of course, our website is youforgotone.com. And we'd like you to do this. Whatever platform, whatever podcasting platform you're listening to us on right now, would you like us? Would you follow us? Would you leave a review? Would you subscribe? Whatever it is you do on your specific platform, would you do that so that other people can find the podcast? We're going to leave you now with the most appropriate Big Star track. Just to the skies Do you want that?